Good morning, Harvest, and uh, we're in week three of Solomon on Stewardship, and uh, if you're visiting or newer with us, we've been uh, basically working from the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, uh, just to be able to have those books shed some light on what God says about the stewarding on uh, uh, what God has entrusted to us. And so far, in the prior two Sundays, we've talked on stewarding my soul, uh, we've talked on stewarding myself, and today we get into talking on stewarding my stuff. Um, and just to kind of give you the lay of the land for today, we're going to be spending about kind of about 15 minutes or so kind of laying some groundwork here. We'll be in a couple passages, and, and then uh, the last 30 minutes, uh, we'll be going into the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And So to lay some of the groundwork here, um, I want to remind us of some statements we've had, I think are key statements for us. And the first of those is you are a soul with a body. You are a soul with a body. It is a really important statement. In the book of Ecclesiastes, a couple Sundays ago, we went and we just keyed in on that and just trying to see that the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to get after our soul. It's just showing that, listen, there's more to life. There's more to life. We have a soul that is yearning for satisfaction. And Solomon goes through in Ecclesiastes, like, I'm not finding it there. I'm not finding it there. And I just come out of it and I go, we are a soul with a body. Hear me. We are not a body with a soul. It's priority, it's order of things, and we'll see that later as we talk again today. Uh, God has put eternity into man's heart. Uh, The second key statement is the control center of my soul is right between my ears. The control center of my soul is right between my ears. We talked in this last Sunday. We went to the book of Proverbs, because the book of Proverbs is going right after your mind. It's going right there. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, it starts out talking about that. We're going after understanding. We're going after insight. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I mean, just those words, wisdom, knowledge, insight, that's all here stuff. That's all right between the ears kind of stuff. And that's where the book of Proverbs is going at that. A third key statement is, My body reveals what's going on in my soul. Uh, This was last Sunday as well. My body reveals what's going on in my soul. In in other words, the book of Proverbs, I'm sorry, we were going to uh, uh, talking about saying and seeing and hearing and doing and going and living and how all those things reveal what's going on in the control center of my soul. You do what you do because you think what you think. You do what you do because you think what you think. Why did you just do that? Let me ask this. Why did you come here today? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) No, actually, you do. You do. There's thinking behind it. Uh, I was forced to. Or (laughs) I I, I, I wanted to come. Or whatever that reality is. Why do you do what you do? You do what you do because you think what you think. And I want to say, that's such an important concept. Because when we understand that what I do comes out of here, it gives us great hope that you can change and grow. The happening out here can change and grow. But that has to happen right here. Because of that's where it's coming at. If we trace back to what's happening out here, we can trace it right to our mind. My body reveals what's going on in my soul. And along with that, really, today is this idea that my stuff reveals what's going on in my soul as well. Not only am I saying, am I seeing, am I hearing, am I doing, am I living, am I acting, does it reveal what's going on in my soul, but my stuff does. And I'm not just talking about how much you have. I'll talk about that in a second. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how you view stuff. Uh, That's what we're getting at today. 
And I realize that whenever uh, we begin to talk about stuff and kind of get into people's money and their things, here's what happens. People get weirded out. And I know that. I understand that because it's like, isn't it interesting? Doug, now you're getting too personal. Now you're getting in my stuff. And you shouldn't be in my stuff. Listen, I'll just put, it, put you at ease. This is not about me getting in your stuff. This is about God's word getting in our stuff, okay, as we're hitting on this. But I realize that. It's kind of weird. Everybody relax. Um, we're just going to see what God has to say. But I also want to add to this. I think part of the reason we get weirded out about it is uh, maybe we just love our stuff too much. Maybe we just love our stuff too much. And also, I'm going to add another one to that. I think there's just a lot of kind of confused, messed up thinking within Christianity about thinking about stuff. For example, there's the prosperity gospel carnival, I'll call it. And it's kind of the thing of, hey, you know, come to Jesus and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and happy, guaranteed, like the Apostle Paul. If I remember right, before the Apostle Paul came to Christ, he had it made as far as in the world's viewpoint. He came to Christ and like the dude spent his life in jail. So much for that. I want to tell you the prosperity gospel views spiritual maturity as measured by how how goods one health is and by how much stuff they have. Just what's with that? The other thing that goes around a lot is actually the poverty gospel carnival. I'll even call it the stuff police. Where it's like, you know, Jesus' people, they're supposed to live bare bones and give everything away. And, and my goodness, if you go on a fancy vacation, guilt. And if you go out and eat at a nice restaurant, what's with that? Obviously, you don't love Jesus enough or the poor. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, come on. We're just a transparent church. Be real church. True. Okay, and, and all this gobbledygook is going on, and, and it's kind of like in this, it's like if you wear designer clothes, it's like, what's the deal with that? By the way, uh, go read Proverbs 31, because you'll actually see in there that uh, Miss Proverbs 31 lady kind of had some designer clothes. <laughs> I'm not kidding on that. Um, spiritual maturity becomes viewed as how little you live on and how much you give away, and people are just struggling with it, and I get that. And so... Um, um, Don't be plagued here today. Uh, Today is not about managing your stuff. I'm going after your head. I just want for you to know, I'm going right between your ears today because that's where Proverbs and Ecclesiastes goes. Uh, I'm going to talk about stuff, and I'll say kind of for two reasons. Number one, um, because that's my job. Uh, I'm a pastor, uh, teaching pastor, main teaching pastor of this church, and part of my job is to teach God's word. And to people, to equip you with God's word. And and I'll just say this, God's word talks a ton about stuff. There's a statement out there, Jesus talks more about money than he talks about heaven and hell combined. The Bible talks a lot about stuff, and I'll add this. Part of the reason I said I'm going to do this these four weeks contained within Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is because there's just no way you can grab everything and talk about it in a short period of time. Because the Bible talks so much about money and stuff. And so part of it is, is because it's my job to be able to teach that, and I love doing that. Secondly, I'm going to add into this. This is kind of 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Uh, we love you so much. Delighted to share with you not only the word of God, but our lives as well. Here's a bit of our lives as well thing. Because of what Karen and I have learned over the years about stuff. 
I, a lot of pastors actually get, uh, have a hard time talking about stuff talk and money talk. I don't mind it at all. I actually really enjoy it. I really enjoy that interaction because stuff talk is soul talk. Hey, if you really want to know what's going on in your soul, look at what you do with your money. I'm telling you, it takes you right to how you view life and how you view things and how you view money and what you're all about. And I love talking that stuff. And part of the reason I love talking that stuff is just because of out of our own experience. Karen and I have known what it is to live without stuff. We've known without wealth. We've known what it is to live with wealth. And we've known what it is to give out of wealth. Now, just a couple little things transparency-wise on that. I just remember as a freshman and sophomore in high school, uh, my dad was out of work. We had started our business in our basement at the time. And my mom and dad came to me and my three brothers, older brothers, and said, here's the deal. This Christmas, you know, we don't have much going on. You can have each one gift, $20 gift. Um, we still call this our Walton's Christmas. Or if you don't, that time ages me. But um, you can have one $20 gift. And, and it was one, honestly one of my favorite Christmases I've ever had. I... I I didn't even know it at the time, but my mom and dad borrowed the money from, from relatives to pay for the $20 gifts for each of us. Uh, by the way, I got a light blue Adidas duffel bag. It was awesome. It was so in and cool. I took it to back, basketball practice during after Christmas for pr- Christmas break, and the uh, third time I took it in, it got stolen. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I'm not that bitter about it. <laughs> Maybe a little. Um, Karen knew what it was to grow up without stuff. She was literally a poor pastor's daughter, and I didn't have much stuff at all. Uh, We knew what it was for us to have to pay for our own college. That was kind of our choice, our thing, without parents' help and with others. And I don't mean this to brag on it. Without loans, I was in a six-year program because of that. Um, When we were married, we made uh, much less than all our friends who were around us at the time. We made less than them. Um, That was okay. I still remember our $225 a month apartment, one-bedroom apartment, and uh, a West Wind apartment. I still remember that. Remember, we bought a $200 Fred Flintstone car. And I say that because kind of our goal was we had observed that uh, generally we think people one of the areas people blow their money is in areas and their whole finances in, is in cars. And we had made a commitment that we were only going to cash pay for cars. I pretty much done that most all of our life. Um, so we had $200. So that was what the car that we bought. We went and we bought it, a $200 car from a dealer. And it had a piece of plywood in the back window. Uh, the reason it was Fred Flintstone was the back seats literally you could see to the asphalt. And uh, so I bought it because in that I could go to our work and I could cut sheet metal out, put it in the floor, and we could use that. And uh, that was a cool car, sort of. Um, But part of it was is we wanted to be a couple that uh, gave and we wanted to be a couple that saved. And part of what we did was our goal was to save $50 a month. Yes, that's $12.50 a week. We tracked everything that we spent from gum to everything and um, worked at it hard and couldn't always meet that goal. Um, I'm not trying to make this about us, but I'm just trying to help you realize that I understand some um, various worlds. We also know what it is to be with stuff. I remember in my mid-30s finishing my TurboTax return and getting to the end. 
And asking, do you want to know where you fit within the U.S. income? I thought, that's an interesting question. I did, and it came up, and that's when I realized what was going on. I was, Karen and I were in the one-tenth of one percent of wage earners in America. I remember feeling like, who do we talk to about how to do this? I'm in my mid-30s. We're making a ton of money out of our business. I don't know what to do. How do you handle wealth? How much is too much? couldn't talk to anybody. Not my pastors, not people at church. Who would understand that? I remember that very much. I remember the, the cultural guilt of it. I remember having to explain our house. Then I remember uh, even much later in life having to wrestle through the decision of to give such that it, it uh, alters our entire financial future. To give out of wealth. Um, this is not a pat us on the back. I'm saying this. We've known what it is to be with stuff. We've known what it is to be without stuff. And we've made some wise choices and we've made some, really I should say, I've made some really dumb choices in life. We've learned that stuff reveals your soul, whether you have none of it or a ton of it. That's my point. I love talking this stuff because it's soul talk, okay? So I'm trying to get you unweirded. Turn to Genesis chapter one. I just want to start there for a minute. Genesis chapter one. Let me just ask this question as we kind of start digging into this. Uh, how do you know who God is and what God is about? And think about that. How do you know who God is and what God is about? I mean, at this point in redemptive history, you can't see God. So how do you know who God is and what God is about? Answer, by what he's said and done. By what he's said and done. By what he's said and done. Boy, that's like last week. You know what's really going on in the heart of someone, if you will. You know God by what he's said and what he's done. I will also say this with today. You know God by his stuff. Genesis chapter 1 talks about that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You, you know where Genesis 1 is, right? We're all there, right? Cool. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was made without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. I mean, what does that already tell you about God? And you haven't even seen him face to face. I mean, it's like God is awesome. He's, he's created everything. And by the way, everything is his stuff. It goes on in chapter one to talk about his stuff includes the oceans. His stuff includes all the plants. His stuff includes all the stars and the heavens. Because by the way, the heavens declare the glory of God. All the animals, they're his. And all of mankind's are his. It's all his. And all this stuff tells us about God. Go to Romans, take a look, go walk outside. Explain that. As you look around, it, it tells God, his stuff tells you about God. And by the way, so does your stuff. So does your stuff. And I'm talking about how you think about stuff. It tells about who you are. God, I pray as we dig in here into these passages, that we would be sensitive hearts to you. Uh, talking about stuff, talking about money. Um, we get weird. I just pray we would chill. 
and we would be very willing to allow you to examine our hearts, not the person next to us, not the people in the front row, the row in front of us or the row behind us, but ourselves. Because God, stuff is a gift from you. And we need to steward it well for your glory. Help us to understand how to do that better. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, sharing some light on the topic. Before we go there, turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. This is a passage we had touched on a while ago. 1 Kings chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want for you to know, today is not going to be a Crown Financial Dave Ramsey class. I'm all about that. I have no problem with that. And I look forward to having a building where we can do some of that, by the way. Uh, But today is not organizing your fruit. But some of you may need some numbers. Some of you are fruit arrangers. And I'm just saying, I'm going for your head and not for the arranging your fruit. Because you can arrange your fruit and your heart be not where God wants it to be. In other words, I don't want to raise Pharisees. So I'm going after your thinking today, as I've already mentioned a few times. And let me just say this, put it on the table. We're not doing number talk, but I will say this. Maybe you should consider uh, uh, being a 70% household. What do I mean by that? 70% household. Uh, If you're in a situation where you are without credit card debt, school debt, that kind of debt, maybe one of the things you should consider doing is first 10% goes to giving, second 10% goes for saving, third 10% goes for long-term investment, and you live on 70%. Or, or maybe right now, that's just like, you're nuts, dude. Okay, how about this? 94%. 2% giving, 2% short-term saving, emergency saving, 2% long-term. I don't know. You get the point. Okay, and then maybe you need to build into that. But we're going to see later on here, I think the Bible talks about giving, and the Bible talks about saving, and the God, Bible talks about wise spending. And the Bible, when you go beyond Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, also talks about doing it proportionally, and it talks about doing it with thought, and not just willy-nilly. And here's another concept along with it, and basically it's live within your means. There's a new idea. And I put that out there because we live in a country where, whether you know it or not, our thinking is being impacted by what's happening around us. And the graph on the chart lets you know that right now as a country, we are almost right up to the point of $17 trillion in debt. And friends, I'm not getting political right now. I'm getting theological right now. That's nearly uh, $54,000 for every man, woman, and child. If you're a family of four, that's $200,000 in your family that the government has indebted itself to. This, let me put it in another perspective. That means this would be the equivalent of we're in the process of building a building. That means the equivalent of us going and saying, you know what, based upon kind of our our attendance figures, uh, we can go ahead and build a $37 million facility and think we can pay for it. I hope if I came up here someday and said, you know what, we're building a $37 million facility, you all would be going, are you nuts? That's the world we live in. And I just put this out here just as something off to the side that I want to let you know this is not government slamming, this is leadership slamming, and we generally flow out of leadership whether we think about it or not. And I want to call you out of, if you are, being a debt person, a living on debt. I want to call you out. Let's be different than what's happening around us because friends, it's all going to come crashing down here. Okay, enough of that. 
1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, let's get a little background. Solomon, we were in this passage a couple weeks ago. I love first four words. Solomon loved the Lord. This is early in his kingship. He loves the Lord. Uh, go to verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. Well, how cool would that be? God shows up, and he says, hey, you want something? What do you want? What do you want, man? I know you love me. What do you want? I'll just make it happen. I wonder, I wonder what I would be asking for. And then later on in the passage, verse 9, Solomon says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. I think Solomon at this time is in his early 20s at this point, leading a people. For he says, Who is able to govern your great people? It's like, God, give me wisdom to lead these people. Man, we want leaders like that. And that's what happens. And so what happens, verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourselves, uh, for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, no, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you bend before you or after you will rise up like you. Verse 13, look at this. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Hey, a question. Is God God anti-stuff, anti-rich? No. In fact, God piled it on this dude. So this dude was going to be like a tycoon because God piled it on. Okay, okay, so much for the poverty gospel. All right, next question. Is this for everybody? Was this a promise to everybody? Answer, no. Friends, you've got to remember, at the time when Solomon was alive, there was other people who loved the Lord. There were other people who were Yahweh followers at the time. And yet, did God do the same thing to them? Answer, no. So much for the prosperity gospel. And yet oftentimes that's kind of the way it's, it's given the idea that, that, that if you give, God will just pile it on. And it's like, wait a second, that's not what's happening here. God in his sovereignty decided out of his own choice just to pile on the wealth to Solomon, even though he didn't ask for it. God is not anti-stuff. God is not anti-wealth. Now that I've totally confused you, Let's get some truths. Five control center truths. Okay, here we go. Uh, Turn to Proverbs 22. This will actually be for the second one. Uh, We get started, but the first truth on the table. My stuff is a window to my soul. My stuff is a window to my soul. Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 from a few weeks ago, we had gone in there and just saw Solomon's soul, what was going on in the control center of his mind. We've touched on this, so I don't, wanna, uh, don't need to do that here. But uh, what does my stuff say about my thinking? What does your stuff say about your thinking? I'm not talking how much you have, how little you have. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how you process, how you think, what you look at, what controls in your mind. What's going on in the control center of your mind about stuff? As we talk about this, my stuff, your stuff is a window to your soul. Secondly, uh, my stuff is not my stuff. (laughs) My stuff is not my stuff. You're there in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 2. Uh, Friends, I'm going to tell you, this one's going to bother you. Look at this. The rich and the poor meet together. 
What that means is, I like New International Version, how it has it. The rich and the poor have this in common. What is it? The Lord is the maker of them all. You know, this is one of these verses I wish I could have a divine pair of scissors and cut it out because I can't quite wrap it in my brain. Wait a second. Wait a second. Do you mean to tell me that the Bible says that, the, that, that God is the maker of rich and that God is the maker of poor? Yes. Well, God bites. I mean, that is so unfair. Wait, wait. Right now, I'm right in here on you. And that's right where I want to be. Because let's work that thought out for a second. Wait a second. Why do we think that is unfair? Because we think that life is about comfort. Because we think that someone who's poor is getting gypped in life. Why? Because they don't have stuff. True? I know you're struggling with it. I understand. But that's what it says. Do you see how this causes us just to go in our head with God? How about this? Maybe God is about something that doesn't have to do with stuff. Maybe God's intent is actually so outside of stuff, but yet we're so caught in the stuff that we can't see how God is about something way bigger, way broader, way longer, much more eternal. Friends, your soul does not need stuff. Yes, it does, because if I don't eat, I die. No, 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 you die, and if you know the Lord, you are with the Lord. Your soul never dies. Your soul doesn't need a lick of food. Your soul doesn't need a roof over its head. You can be in Africa, living out in the, in, in the jungle. You can be in Australia, living out in the wherever they live out. You can, you can be here, living under a roof. Your soul, it doesn't matter. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why this statement of your, you are a soul with a body. Now, your body needs food. Your body needs a roof. Your body needs the stuff. But do you see how we actually end up being people who live like, think like, I am a body with a soul. And so we spend all our time thinking about body stuff. That's why we look at a passage like Proverbs 22, 2, and we go, God does not make sense. And you know why? Because we're not thinking rightly. It's not about the stuff. It's not. My stuff is a window to my soul. My stuff is not my stuff. And third, my stuff is a poor source of happiness. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Each of these points, I'm trying to give you one key verse out of either Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, it says, He or she who loves money, by the way, if you were taking notes, write 1 Timothy 6, 10 down. You can go spend some time with that later. He or she who loves money, because friends, money is not the root of all evil. The love of is. 
But here it says, he or she who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Maybe this week you have, uh, uh, I don't know, but we've all thought this thing, man, if I could just have more money, life would be happier. Life would be better. If I just had that car, then I would have made it. If I could have that job or the bigger house, or if I could have this accomplished, then I'd be happy. If just my bills could be paid, then I would be happy. I want to say straight up, money and material possessions can bring aspects of comfort. I'm not going to lie about it, and we all know it. It can bring aspects of comfort. But it does not bring more joy, because if it brought more joy, just think of how happy all those people who have tons and tons and tons of money would be. And yet you and I, we see on the news, what's the deal with all these people who just seem to have so much and continually just like, what are they doing with their lives? Because stuff does not satisfy the yearning in our souls. It can bring some comfort, but it doesn't fill that hole. Ecclesiastes 6, 7 says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Uh, This follows with the next one. Uh, My stuff is a source of temptation. My stuff. Turn to Ecclesiastes 2. My stuff is a source of temptation. Uh, Here with this, I am not saying that stuff is like Satan. Uh, Please don't think that. I think there is a neutrality to reality to money and stuff. It's how we use it. It's how we see it. It's how we perceive it. But yet it's something we see. In Ecclesiastes 1.8, it says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear of filled with hearing. Uh, I'll say it this way. Stuff can become a willing idol for us to bow down to. In Ecclesiastes 2.1, uh, we studied this a, a couple weeks ago. It says, uh, Solomon says, I said in my heart, that's a control center, come now, I will test you. It's like game on. I'm, you know, I want to find out what's going to fill the void that my soul has. And we talked in that passage, he goes down, he says, I, I looked for pleasure and I did that. Then in verse four, I did great works that then in verse seven, it says, I bought stuff. I acquired stuff. Then in verse eight, I gathered stuff together. And then in verse nine, chapter two or 10, chapter two, it says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, can you imagine being in that? place being in the place where it's like if you felt it you did it if you saw it you got it if you wanted it it was yours can you imagine being in that kind of position to be able to do that with everything and as we talked about this guy did and he ended up being empty and he came to realize listen it's not that it's wrong it's that i can take it all wrong It can pull me in and draw me in. Stuff is a temptation. Do know that. And I will just tell you personally, when you have lots of it, it can suck you in and you don't even know you've been sucked in. And you even can explain it a way that, no, it's not sucking me in. And yet the reality is in the back. It's just going, and it is. 
just know that stuff is very desirable to our eyes. Just know that. My stuff is a window in my soul. My stuff is not my stuff. My stuff is a poor source of happiness. My stuff is a source of temptation. Number five, my stuff is ultimately worthless. Look at chapter two, verse 11. Chapter two, verse 11. Solomon, he says, uh, then I considered, uh, still this is a soul thinking thing. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. When it all came right down to it, it may have provided comfort. But let me put it this way. When my dad died, and my dad was a unique man, Karen just laughed. My dad was a mad scientist. Uh, if you ever see it, saw Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the beginning of the movie, that was our house, for real. And uh, when my dad died, all of that stuff was left behind. None of his gadgets, none of his tinkering things, None of it went with him. Not even his body at this point in time. And it just reminded me, it was an incredible moment in my life. Looking and understanding after trying to help my mom clean some stuff out of the house. None of it went into eternity. Don't live the dot. Live the line. Stuff is not wrong. But in the end of it, it's all worthless. Proverbs 4.11, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. You stand before God and you bring up whatever you want. Listen, it's just going to be you naked before God. And the stuff is irrelevant. And it's going to fall away. Verse 28 of Proverbs 4, it says, Whoever trusts in riches will fall. Wow. So watch it watch it. Okay, let me uh, switch a little bit of gears. Four principles. Four principles. Four principles for stewarding my stuff. Principle number one, it's the principle of first fruits. Turn to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3. The principle of first fruits. Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your produce. Got it. So, the last part, right? The last part of my stuff, that's the part that God wants, right? Okay, so the leftover stuff. You know, after things have been paid and so on and so forth, then whatever is conveniently left over, that stuff, that's what the text is saying? Which part then? Why would God do this? Because think about this. It's about ordering life. It's about priority of life. But it's my stuff. No, it's not. But it's my income. No, it's not. You see, your income tells you how you organize and see life under the Lord. And God, all through the Old Testament, has this idea of the first fruits, the first stuff, the first from the top. I'm not even going to get into the gross versus net conversation. 
I'm just saying the first fruit stuff. All right? Which part? But Doug, this is post-Old Testament. We're post-Old Testament law. You're not going to get into the tithe, 10%, first fruits thing, are you? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm okay with that conversation. I can handle that. Because here, let me think about this. We're living under the age of grace, if you will, from uh, biblically over time, right? Right, okay. So the Old Testament was law stuff. Grace is like piled on stuff. That's like grace. It's like, whew, no more of that law. It's like grace. Grace has this idea of like, it's just poured out. It's just over and abounding. So now we live in the time of grace. So first fruit can go to last fruit now because we're under grace. What? It should be now like first of the first because we're in grace. Oh, and God had said in place this 10% thing, but now we're living in grace. How about this? Grace means more. I'm not trying to... Some of you want to leave. But you hear what I'm saying? I'm going up here. I'm just going in our thinking. I'm just saying we live in a grace reality. Shouldn't it be first of the first? And I don't know. Maybe even more? Uh -uh. Mm. First fruits. By the way, first fruits uh, giving is not a rich person's thing. John D. Rockefeller said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was a dollar fifty a week. And I'll just tell you from our own story, not trying to pat ourselves on the back from our own story. When Karen and I got married, we just said, we're just going to do this because if we don't do it from the beginning, it's going to be hard later on. And I will tell you, when I was making way less than all my buddies who graduated from college because I was risking it all on the line and we were living in our little dinky, cute little apartment we thought was awesome. We did. And later on when God, I don't know why, but God in his grace just poured it out later on. It wasn't a big deal. There were more zeros, I guarantee that. But it wasn't a big deal because we had already developed the habit of that. And I just, for you, I just want to encourage you that. If you don't know the habit of that, if you're still in the white knuckle thing, we'll talk about that in just a second. But if you're still in the white knuckle thing, I just want to let you, just let it go, let it go, let it go, just let it go. When we live God's way, God blesses. And I don't know how God was blessed. Just let, let's say God do the blessing part of it. Let's just do what God has asked us to do. So first fruits giving. Uh, along with that, I'm going to add, because we're in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, uh, look at Proverbs 31. Um, I'm going to add to this because uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes talks a lot about the poor and the needy. And so I'm going to put it on the table under this first fruits thing. It also talks poor and needy giving. Proverbs 31, verse 20, it says, She, this Proverbs 31 woman, she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. That's cool. Proverbs 28, 27, it says, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Ow. And then another one, Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor, listen to this, lends to the Lord. That's interesting, isn't it? Like God's taken a loan out from me? No, it's the concept of it. Listen, part of what we do here as a church, and and we should just be having a passion for the poor and the needy to help. Among those among our midst and those outside of our midst. Just poor and needy helping people. 
That needs to be part of this in this giving mindset. I'm going to add one more thing to this giving mindset. Uh, no hold back giving. Turn to Proverbs 21, verse 26. This is interesting. No hold back giving. I've been guilty of this sometimes. Proverbs 21, 26, it says, All day long he, it's talking about the verse 25, sluggard. Uh, All day long he, the sluggard, craves and craves, but the righteous gives. (laughs) And then it says, and does not hold back. It's crud giving. Like, crud. What I could have done with that. Oh, white knuckle giving. I could tell you some, I won't. I can tell you some things where I'm like, "Mm, mm." I could be doing that right now. It's just, no, no, nothing held back. I don't think this is talking amount. I think this is talking attitude. Just like, joyfully. Even when it hurts, it's like, no white knuckles on it. No hold back giving. Second principle, the principle of little by little, returning from giving to saving. Proverbs 13, go there. Just a couple more here and we're done. Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, verse 11, it says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. I don't have time to go into it, but I think you do see in the Bible, there's other passages in the Proverbs that talk about saving up. I want to let you know it's okay to save. But there does come a question, how much is too much? Maybe that will never be a question for you, but there are some out here that maybe that is a question for you. But in it, uh, the Bible does talk about saving up. And I would just say, are you uncomfortable about saving? You, you shouldn't be. Uh, but it's priority. First fruits giving and then saving. Uh, Proverbs uh, uh, 21.20, it says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a fool devours it. If you understand what's going on in there, it's basically saying this. Listen, a fool just spends all the money. But a wise man actually has some of the stuff stored up. And in that day, the treasure and the oil, those are the big deals of the day. I'm not talking about what was most impacting in the stock market of the day. Those were the big deals of the day. And a wise man stores some stuff up. I'll just add this. You should have an emergency fund and you should have a savings fund. Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with that. In fact, I think it's even biblical. Principle of little by little. Third, the principle of neither. These last two I want to send us home with. Principle of neither. Turn to Proverbs 30. Don't get weary on the turning. Hang in there. We're almost done. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. I love this. This is such an interesting attitude. Verse 8, Proverbs 30. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Isn't that cool? Give me neither poverty of riches. Feed, just feed me the food uh, that is needful for me, lest, here's the, because stuff can be a temptation, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? In other words, I don't need you, God. Hey, friends, when you have lots of stuff, 
I am telling you, hear me, it is easy not to need the Lord. I literally remembering days where people would talk about how God showed up in an amazing way and provided for them. And it was in a time in our life where it was like, we literally at times talked. We were never in that position at that time. And while God was blessing us in one unique way, it was kind of like, I just wanted to see like God show up in a way where I couldn't financially get myself out of the hole. It's easy to become trusting of yourself when you have it. But, but then the text goes on and it says, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. God, I'm poor, you bite. No, just give me neither God. Just put me right in the middle. Just right in the middle. Isn't that interesting? Right in the middle. Lastly, the principle of the joy gift. Ecclesiastes 5. Turn there. This is the last place I'll have you turn. Ecclesiastes 5. The principle of the joy gift. Listen to this. Verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and underline this, and power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and rejoice and is told, this is a gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of the life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have uh, seen under the sun, chapter 6, and it lies heavy on mankind, verse 2. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. Is this not interesting? People can have the stuff and yet not even know how to enjoy them. Friends, I want for you to know this morning, I have not brought in the comparison of how rich we are compared to the world. I never have liked that. Because the truth of the matter is we live here. And God has put us here. And I don't want to guilt you today in this whole process of stuff. But I do want for us to realize whether you have much or little, do you realize that your ability to be able to enjoy that is a gift from God? And I just say this, maybe you need to be praying, God, help me uh, understand how to enjoy the stuff, however much or little I have. Rather than being in a place where I'm always complaining, always complaining, always complaining that I can't pay the bills, can't do this, I never have enough, I never have enough, I never have enough. How about this? God, thank you that in your sovereignty, I'm not talking about people who've been foolish and put themselves in a place, but God, thank you in your sovereignty. You put me here. Help me be content right where I am. God, allow me to enjoy the little I have. How about that? Is that not like a change my mind? Isn't it? God, thank you for the little that I have. And I'm not talking fake thanks. I'm talking to the soul. God, thank you. And by the way, if you have a lot, do you realize that is God's gift for you to be able to enjoy all that he's piled on you? And maybe you need to be going, God, oh my. Help me understand how to be joyful in how you've piled it all on me and not guilty. 
Oh, and by the way, everybody else in the middle, you too. You too. God, thanks for the time and your word. Um, Lord, I just pray the Spirit of God would end up using some of these things coming out of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes just to stir us, stir our thinking. God, I actually do. I ask you might even irritate us a little bit in this. Because we need to be stirred up. We need to be pushed and pressed into